seated. Well, welcome again uh, to Mercy House. My name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here. If you are an elementary age kid, we welcome you to come down to the kids' class at this time. All right. Well, welcome to Mercy House. We are a church that is focused on the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. You hear about that even today in the sermon, but that's what we're centered on. We want to be a gospel-centered family as well. We want to want to find family with each other. Want to care for each other, bear one another's uh, burdens, encourage one another. We also are a family on mission. And that mission is a mission that was given to us by Jesus. Jesus told his church that we should make disciples. That's just a follower of Jesus. And so uh, we work as a church to help introduce people to Jesus and to then teach them how to follow Jesus once they're, they've been introduced. So you're in a good place. Um, many are here, you perhaps came from some kind of a church background, and you're like, I need to find a church when I, when I come uh, to Amherst. And then others, you're brand new. I actually talked to some of you brand new to the whole church scene, and you're like, I've, I've never gone to church before. I've never even explored Christianity, but I'm in college, I'm checking it out. Or my friend asked me to come, and I'm like, sure, I don't have anything else to do on a Sunday morning, I'll come check out a church. So we know there's all kinds of different kinds of folks here, but you're, you're in a good place if, if you're wanting to be uh, in, introduced to who Jesus is and what it means um, to follow him. Uh, we're starting a, a new sermon series this morning called Path to Paradise, and uh, we will be looking in those Bibles that are there on the floor. If you don't know where Jeremiah is, that's okay. A lot of people in this room don't know where the book of Jeremiah is. You look at the table of contents, Old Testament, find Jeremiah. Or you can just wander around in the Bible. It's sort of like in the middle, but to the right. Um, and find Jeremiah 31. Even that, the act of that, we're trying to just help you be a good follower of Jesus because you can find Jeremiah, right? So we're helping you even now uh, to grow as a follower. So this idea of, a, of paradise, I think most of us long for some kind of paradise, right? We long to be in a place of, of beautiful surroundings. We long to be with people that we love and who love us. We, we long to be doing something meaningful, right? We long for harmony between human beings and human beings and the earth. We long to eat really good food. We love... We love good food. I mean, I don't have to go too far to find these longings, right? I can go to my Instagram account, and I can find these longings for paradise, right? For beautiful uh, surroundings. This picture has 1.1 million likes. It's a beach in Indonesia that Daniel Cordan took a picture of, and he even says, this is a paradise, right? Um, this next one is Shirley Rains, half a million likes. Um, she runs a, a program called Beauty to the Streets where she uh, helps homeless get a meal, a shower, and a makeover, right? And there's picture after picture of her with these folks that have come off the streets, and it just seems like a sweet, beautiful uh, relationship that she has with so many people in, I think she's in the L.A. area. 
Um, the meaningful work, right? Shailene Woodley, uh, an actress but an activist, and she's uh, raising awareness of microplastics and how they affect the ocean and how they affect the environment. So here, you know, she's a beautiful actress in a beautiful place where she uh, discovered that microplastics are bad is in Hawaii. I was like, that's a great place to find out that microplastics <laughs> are bad. And so she is raising awareness and doing this very meaningful thing. I think there was 8.2 million views of her video on Instagram. And then there's a lot of harmony. There's a lot of harmony. We got the MacGyver lizard. I don't know if you've seen this. This little girl and her, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a Gila monster, what this thing is. But she, this is her pet. And it's one of the hottest things on Instagram. And she's like cuddling with it and taking naps with it and playing with it and having tea parties with it. And I think this video of her had two, uh, 24 million views of uh, this harmonious relationship between girl and her lizard. Um, and then, of course, food. Uh, this is an amazing salad. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I ate that salad last week, and it was made by my wife, Melanie. Um, and there's 50 likes on there. Um, <laughs> Four of those are family members. You can see it says liked by Copernicus. That's our, that's our son, Cooper. So he bumped it up to 50. So appreciate that. She didn't know I was going to do that. Sorry, hon. Uh, but you know, as I'm looking through like the top Instagram posts and, and I'm just looking at this and I just feel my mood lifting. I'm just like, man, God, the world is awesome. It's so beautiful, and there's this meaningful work that's happening, and these beautiful relationships, and, and then I go to Twitter, right, and, and <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the, the top trending thing in Twitter, and it's Hurricane Dorian, and a, a place that was once a paradise, the Bahamas, just devastated. It's just devastated. And governmental authorities can't seem to get their act together to get help to the people that are there that don't even have drinking water. Not only that, talk about disharmony, people literally going to someone in their home and at gunpoint forcing them out of their home so that they can have the home and have a roof over their head. And then just death. Uh, I don't know how many articles and uh, things that I heard on the news, and people just said, it just smells like death. It just smells like death. And, it, and, and in part because there's more and more of a death count that's being revealed. Nobody wants to take a selfie of that, right? Nobody wants to take a selfie of that. Yet, in spite of a lot of those reminders on a regular basis that we do not live in paradise, we still long for paradise. We desire it. We long for it. No amount of disappointment or discouragement <laughs> seems to completely squelch this, this longing for paradise. C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Oxford and Cambridge, uh, died in the 1960s and was an atheist who eventually became Christian. And he says this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So I don't think these longings in us for paradise are just happenstance. I think, as Lewis 
describes. These longings are for some other world, some other place, because we all have them. We all have them. And sure, our, our vision of paradise may be different, but there's some threads there that I think are fairly common. And so what this sermon series is going to attempt to explain is, one, the world that we were made for. Because there was a world that we were made for that we don't live, currently live in. And then what happened to that world? What spoiled that world? And then what God's plan is for getting us back to that world? And then fourthly, what we should do about it. So that's, that's going to be the, the long-haul picture of this path to paradise throughout this semester. What's the world we were made to live in? What spoiled it? What's God's plan getting us back? And then how should we respond? It's really the message of the entire Bible. So it, partly what you're going to get, if you hang in there week after week, is you, you're going to get kind of a flyover of the entire Bible. Right? And if you, if you look at the entire Bible, what, what, what you see is kind of this start, human beings start off in paradise. And then paradise is lost. And then the rest of the Bible is, is how is God regaining paradise? So paradise regained. And then it ends with paradise 100% fully realized. Right? So again, big picture flyover. Paradise, paradise lost, paradise regained, par- paradise uh, realized. And one of the ways that, that God moves that plan of regaining paradise forward is through something called a covenant. All kinds of covenants, which covenants are agreements, agreements that God make, makes with human beings. And this is, this is how from the, from the very opening page of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, we see him moving forward this plan to regain paradise. And two characteristics, these are not the only characteristics, but two characteristics of, of a covenant is that one is that God initiates the covenant. It's his idea. He shows up in the midst of human beings, and says, I want to make this covenant with you, and that the result of the covenant, this is a second characteristic, is that the result is relationship between God and people. This is so, such a significant part of the understanding of the path back to paradise. Is the, the God who created the universe initiating this, this relationship that he wants to have with human beings. Covenant that many of you are familiar with is a marriage covenant. I think I performed a, pushing 150 weddings. And I always open it up at the, you know, when the welcome in the beginning, you know, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to join this man and this woman in holy marriage. Right? There's a joining that's, that's a big part of the understanding of covenant. There's a, there's a joining, there's a binding of two parties. And in marriage covenant, that is the husband and the wife. And so they come in as single people who are dating, engaged, and then they leave as husband and wife. They leave a married couple. And so when human beings enter into covenant with God, they are joined to God, and then they go forward in covenant, joined with God. Uh, in general... What religion is attempting to do is to bind God and people. That's what religion means. It means you're religing, you're religamenting. That's <laughs> what that word means. Um, all three of my children have torn their ACL uh, ligaments 
and so have I. We've all gone through a re-ligamenting where a surgeon went in and repaired the anterior cruciate ligament so that the knee joint could be bound yet again together and be stable again. Well, spiritually speaking, this is in general what religion is attempting to do, right? There's been a rupture in the, the bind between humans and God. And religion is attempting to re-ligament, to relig the two parties. Now, what pretty much all religions other than Christianity are doing is that the people are trying to relig with God. They're trying to do it maybe through mystical experience, or they're doing it through moral living, or they're doing it through some kind of re- religious observance. And they're trying to reach out to God and relig, right? Well, Christianity, the God of the Bible, is totally the opposite. It's all about God religing with people. He initiates the covenant. He's the one that moves toward human beings. This series of covenants, now if you look underneath your chair there, you can pull a little bookmark that I hope you'll take with you and you'll stick in your Bible if you have one. If you don't have a Bible, you can actually pick one up on the uh, table there at the side exit. There's some free Bibles there. But what it has in there is, the, is a reading plan of scriptures that you can read before you get here, and it'll help you have a little context for what I'm going to preach. So you've got three, mostly three chapters a week. There's a few weeks where there's a few more, but you can read along. You know what's coming, okay? And what you see on that, the graphic side is you see the path. You see the path, and you see the covenants. And so what happens is you see God in the opening pages of the Bible binding himself with human beings, Adam and Eve. And then you see Adam and Eve breaking that covenant by sinning against God. Then immediately you see God binding himself yet again to Adam and Eve through a covenant, which we'll, we'll talk about all these uh, as we go. And then those descendants break the covenant with God. Then you see a worldwide flood and a restart with Noah and his family, and yet again God rebinds himself with human beings. Then they break that covenant. They, like, building the Tower of, of, of Babel and trying to take over the heavens. You know, they're, they're definitely broken covenant. And then this time, God binds himself to Abraham and makes a covenant with Abraham. Then the sense of Abraham break that covenant. Then he binds himself to the nation of Israel with the covenant of Moses. Then those people break that covenant, right? Then he binds himself to a kingdom through David, and they break that covenant. So this is, this is one way to think about the entire Old Testament. It's like God binding himself to, to his people in a covenant, and then they're breaking it. Then he's, he's re, kind of renewing that covenant, and then they're breaking it, renewing it, breaking it. And there's a transition point after uh, the, the kingdom of, of David and Solomon. Uh, the, 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 the people reject God in his covenant. And what happens next is they have a division of two kingdoms, and then eventually they're completely exiled. And this is where the prophet of Jeremiah is ministering in that time period. And he, he's in the 600s, and he dies in the 500s BCE. Okay? That's kind of where he, he's at. And so here he is. He, his job, he's, he's watching as the Babylonians are coming in. They're taking over what's left of Israel, and they're completely exiling all the people of God. And so his job as prophet is, one, to warn them that this is coming and that it's coming because of them breaking the covenant and then give them hope 
that there's going to come a day when this gets fixed. And, and, and this is where we, we, we find um, that here Jeremiah is standing in a place where there, if he, you know, if Jeremiah had an Instagram account, there'd be no post on that thing, right? You know, there's some people like that. Like, I'm kind of like that. I have an Instagram account so I can see other people's Instagram, but I don't post all that much. I, Jeremiah wouldn't even have one post, right? Everything is falling apart. And then God gives him this word, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. He just heard this read, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So in that, you see hurt and you see hope. He says, you broke covenant with me. I bound myself to you, and then you broke covenant with me like a spouse committing adultery with another spouse. And this is something that Jeremiah uses this illustration to communicate the sense of this breaking of the covenant. It's not like a a banker's contract. This is like breaking the covenant of marriage. Which, honestly, as a pastor, the folks that I've walked with in deep valleys of pain, this is the most painful, is marital infidelity. And so as, a, as an image for the breaking of covenant, there's, there's no deeper pain, there's no deeper hurt, there's no deeper anger, there's no deeper jealousy than marital infidelity. And Jeremiah says, this is what it was like in your breaking of the covenant with God. But there's also hope. (laughs) Even though they broke covenant with God, even though it was so bad, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. There's going to come a day when a new covenant is going to happen. And and you're like, okay, that sounds cool. What, What kind of covenant are you talking about here, God? Well, he explains, verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make See that? I will make, right? He's initiating it with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin. No more. So you see what he's doing there? He's, he's talking about some of the old covenant stuff, and then he's talking about new covenant. So this is why I chose Jeremiah as the way to start this, right? Because we're kind of looking back at old covenants, and we're looking forward to uh, a new covenant. And what we see in both those old covenants and those new covenants, or, or the, the new covenant, is you see that the covenant is personal, it's powerful, and it's permanent. Okay? These are your three little points here this morning if you're taking notes. It's personal. It's powerful, and it's permanent. If you're from Boston, it's, it's poignant, okay? Sorry. So, <clears throat> it's personal. So, he says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That phrase is a refrain throughout Old Testament and New. Over and over and over. God, it's like a song he's singing to his people. You're going to be... My people, I'm going to be your God. I want to bind myself to you. I want to be in a covenant relationship with you. 
my people. It's what they start with in Genesis 1 and 2, where they're walking in the garden with God. They're dwelling with him. He is their God. They are his people. It's what you end up in, the, in Revelation at the end of the Bible. God dwelling with his people. It's paradise. That's paradise. This is what's at the heart of paradise. I, even though we're longing for beautiful surroundings, fellowship, all these you know, great foods, salads, whatever, um, what you're really longing for ultimately is God himself, to dwell with God. It's personal. And so it's, it's all, that refrain is, is just over and over in the Bible. But he's, he's also revealing this new covenant is going to be even more personal. And he says, you won't say, know the Lord, they will all know me. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? And, and it's sort of like, let's say I'm trying to, to fix you up with one of my friends. And I say, you, you should really meet one of my friends. You two would be great together. And they're like, really? Why do you think that? Well, here's all the things you guys have in common. They studied here, there. They had these experiences. They have this kind of background. You guys would make a great couple. So you, you now, you kind of know about the person. But then let's say I, in, I, I introduce you to the person. You guys date, you get engaged, and you get married. Now you know that person. <laughs> you don't just know about that person. And this is what God, God, God's saying to his people. He's saying, yeah, you, you, kind of, you know about me. You know about me, but in this new covenant, you're, gonna, you're going to know me. You're going to actually know me personally. So even though those old covenants are personal, these, this new covenant is personal on a whole new level. It's also powerful. Uh, the old covenants were powerful. He's, he reminds them of one of those covenants. He says, when I, verse 32, when I took them out, uh, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Talked about powerful. Egypt was the most powerful military force in the world. And God shows up with 10 plagues. And all those plagues are personally picking a fight with one of the deities of the Egyptian, Egyptian pantheon. And guess what? God was 10 for 10. He beat every one of those, even Pharaoh himself, who thought he was a deity. And he was plague number 10. So it's powerful. But here in this new covenant, it's going to be even more powerful because he says that he's going to put his ways, his laws within his people. Talk about powerful. He says, we're going to write these laws on your hearts now, in one of the older covenants, in the Mosaic Covenant, the, the laws were written on tablets. And you could stand back and look at the tablets and go, yeah, those are Ten Commandments. I should do those. I shouldn't do that. should do this. But here he's saying, no, I'm going to write it on your heart. That's how powerful this is going to be, that God is changing the human heart. And this is important because the human heart is the origination of all that other covenant breaking. The reason that the people of God were, were breaking those covenants is not because in their minds they're like, yeah, God wants to make a covenant with me, but I'm going to break this covenant. I mean, everyone knows that. No, they're going into it genuinely. They're like, we're going to do it, God. We're going to follow you. But then they break it. Why? Because of the human heart. Jeremiah makes this clear in his book. Uh, he, said, he talks about the human heart a lot. Here's a few little examples. Jeremiah 4:18. he says, your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. Right? So he's telling them, this stuff's happening. You're being disciplined. This, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to wipe the place out. 
the whole thing originates where? In your heart, right? He says in another example, Jeremiah 17, 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So he doesn't just say, you know, your actions were turning away from the Lord, and that's the problem. He's like, it's like your heart. And the heart is the very center of the human being. This is the place where everything else springs out of. Your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions of the will, all of that is springing from a core, and that's the heart. And it's saying that this, this, this new covenant is going to be so powerful that it is going to be able to subdue the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, if you know any verses from Jeremiah and you grew up around church folks, you probably heard this one. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So it's showing that the reason that the people of God has been breaking covenant, breaking covenant, breaking covenant is because the heart, the, the very core of their being is desperately sick and that they can't follow through with the covenant. But in the new covenant, he's going to subdue that heart, and he's going to make it new. So it's personal, it's powerful, it's permanent. It's permanent. Um, there's lots of forever language in the, in the covenants, and we'll see that as we explore each of these covenants. Uh, God's saying, this is going to be forever, it's going to be forever, and then they break it. And you're like, okay, I'm not sure I understand. How can it be forever? If they just broke it, and now it's over, right? And then there's another covenant. And then he's like, it's, this is going to be forever. And so there's, a, there's forever language, but it doesn't seem like it can actually happen because the people can't keep covenant with God. And then in this new covenant, you see, oh, this is how you're going to keep it as a forever covenant. He says, I'll forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. None of the other covenants had that. Well, they had means of sacrificing animals to get your sins forgiven, but then you had to come back next time and do it again, and then the next year and do it again. And here it says in this new covenant, it's going to be a once for all. I'm going to forgive these sins, and these sins are going to be forgiven forever. He says he's going to forgive their, quote, iniquity. This is an interesting word. It's translated from a Hebrew word that doesn't just mean sinful actions, but means a level of, a heart level of depravity. So it's basically saying, we're not just going to deal with the sinful actions, we're going to de- deal with the sinful sickness in the human heart. And he says, this covenant is that powerful and is that permanent that I will deal with the human heart on a permanent, permanent basis. No covenant had ever done that. And you hear that and you go, I mean, how permanent could it be? God, are you, I mean, are you really going to do this? Is it going to be a permanent, like, eternal kind of covenant? Can you pull that off? And his answer to you, I think, would be verse 35 and following. He says, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. How's that for a resume right there? Like, like I've got the the sun and the moon and and the tides. I've got these fixed. I order this universe, right? This is how powerful and permanent this new uh, covenant can be. He says, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. 
and see what he's doing there. He's like, do you worry about the sun coming up in the morning? Do you go to bed at night and you're just like, man, I hope God brings the sun up tomorrow? Do you go to bed at night and you're like, man, I hope the tides go in and out correctly tonight? I'm worried because if they don't, then there's problems. And No, you're like, that stuff, God's in charge of that stuff. He's like, look, I'm in charge of that stuff. I'm in charge of this new covenant. I'm going to make this happen. And it's going to be permanent, eternally permanent. He gives another illustration, verse 37. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Here he's talking about his infinitude, right? How vast the universe is that he created. He's like, okay, okay, okay. So when you guys explore every square nanometer, I don't even know if a nanometer can be squared, but every square nanometer of the whole heavens and the whole earth, then, yeah, then I'll, I'll break this covenant. And that was, you know, we're talking 2,500 years ago when this was written, and I'm pretty sure we haven't gotten to every square nanometer in the universe, and I don't think we're going to get there. Right? So he's saying, I, I've got this. This is going to be uh, permanent. Now, again, this is a, a, a paradise, not of our own making, right? We all kind of have a, a longing for a paradise, and there's things about that longing that are right in line with the longing that God uh, would, would have us to have. But, but for most of us, that longing it does not have God at the center. And, and that's where we, we need to have a renewal of our understanding of paradise, is that paradise has God at the center, and then all those other things revolve. Because there's nothing, there's nothing wrong about beautiful surroundings and being with people we love and enjoying good food. and th- These things are all Im- Im- important, but they're not at the center. The center of the spiritual solar system is God. And a- as we get that understanding and we, we, all those other things start to orbit around that center, then we're starting to move toward paradigms. So how does God do this, right? How does he accomplish this? Is this like a magic wand? He just kind of waves it over the universe and all, presto, we have this personal, powerful, permanent covenant. No. It requires him to do something. And that something is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus. The reason Jesus has come is he is to institute the new covenant. Now, how do I know that? Because he told us. He told us. He told us different places, but one place, Luke 22. It's the night before his death on the cross. It is not paradise. I don't think if he had an Instagram account on Thursday night in the upper room, he'd be like with the disciples like, what up? It's Passover. It was not paradise. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be unfairly, unjustly tried. He's going to be brutally tortured the next day. And he's going to die on a cross. He's going to die for sinners like you and me that don't deserve it. And so here's what he says, Luke 22. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer For I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Right? So he's with his disciples, and they're celebrating Passover. Now, Passover was a way of thinking back 
on one of the covenants in the past, which is the Mosaic Covenant. And so they're having this remembrance of, of what happened through Moses. And he said, man, I have been longing for this. I've been waiting. I've been really wanting to sit down with you all. And I've been wanting to have this Passover. And I wanted to remember this, this Passover covenant. And then he starts to change the script a little bit, a whole bunch, actually. Verse 17, he took a cup, which is part of the Passover experience. When he'd given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Second time he said this, I'm sure the disciples at this point is going, something's up. Like, this is not the script that we usually use for Passover meals. Like, like he keeps saying, I'm not going to eat this until the kingdom comes, right? What, what's he talking about? And then he completely blows their mind. And he says, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so 500 years before that moment, Jeremiah had said, there's going to be a new covenant. And God's going to make this happen. And what we have here in Jesus is God in the flesh. Right? He's saying, this bread is being broken. This bread is my body. It's his way of saying, God has shown up. God has become a human being in the midst of other human beings. But not only that, that he's become a human being. Why? So that he can die in the place of the covenant breaker. And so Jesus, who is both God and human, has lived the covenant responsibilities perfectly in the flesh. And because of that, now he can die as a substitute in place for covenant breakers. This is how God permanently, eternally binds himself to sinners like you and me. It is through what Jesus Christ does on the cross. And so this is how he relegs himself, religaments himself to you and me. And he's still doing it. He's still doing it because this religging was not just for the nation of Israel. This religging was for the nations, for all nations. There's a few of you that, that perhaps have come from a Jewish background, but most of you have not. Many of you have come from different countries. And what I want you to hear is God is religging all of you. He desires to bring all of you into a relationship with him, a relationship that is not just now, but it is for Ever. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, okay, I think things are clicking for me and I want that. I want it now. I, I, take it. It's a free gift. This religging is something that, that God initiates and offers to you as a free gift. Receive that this morning. Even pray in your heart this morning asking God, I want that. I have, I'm a covenant breaker, God. I need you to forgive me, not just of my actions, but my heart, and relig me. For others, you're saying, whoa, this is like, all this stuff's new to me. Some of you, your head may be swimming. You're like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. And so for you, I, I want to encourage you to come along for the ride. Come along for the path. Come back next week, and the next week, and the next week. Do a little of that reading plan. 
Maybe you have a Christian friend here. Ask them a question or two about what you're hearing or what's confusing. Or ask me. I'd love to talk about that. This is a big part of the heart of this church. There's folks coming in that are brand new to the Christian faith, don't know anything about the Bible, and, and can come along and get exposed to it and ask questions and seriously consider, is this the truth? Of course, I believe it is. <laughs> it is the way that God has chosen to relig people to himself, and he's initiating with you uh, this morning. For others of us uh, who we have placed faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, we have entered into a covenant community, which is the church. Now we get to be reminded of the realities of that covenant on a regular basis so that we can now live in the here and now in light of that reality, okay? So we still don't live in paradise, right? I mean, there's glimpses of it. It's a beautiful morning, and there's beautiful creation, and there's a lot of great things that are glimpses of paradise because this world that God created, it's not completely tainted, but we are often reminded that this is not the world that we were made for. And so what we have to do is live in light of this truth that God is restoring and has restored paradise in the end. And so what we do is we carve out little pieces of paradise. We want this church to be a little piece of paradise, right? People come in, they go, whoa, something different about this place. Like, like these people love each other and, and, and they're uh, bearing each other's burdens and, and they're celebrating each other's joys. Like what's going on here? It's a little piece of paradise right here, bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. We want to have a little piece of paradise out in, in our homes, People come into our homes, they see our marriages, they see relationships with the friends or roommates, and they go, man, what's going on here? It's a little piece of paradise. They, they wanted, we want to have a little piece of paradise in places we, where we work. We're, we're living in light of this reality of what God has done for us and will do for us. One Instagram picture that did not get as many likes is this one, uh, 50,000, I think. Not bad. Better, definitely better than any of my... my uh, pictures, but uh, this is a picture of all the generators in a Costco, uh, in addition to all of the dry goods that this guy could, could purchase, and he paid for those things, and then he paid for them to be put on a boat and be sent to the Bahamas, and I thought, I don't know if this guy's a Christian, but he sure is acting like one. He's saying, I, I know it's, it's hard and it's awful there, and maybe these little gener generators and this, these rations are not going to do all that much, but I'm going to carve out a piece of paradise in the middle of devastation. And this is what we do as disciples of Jesus. We carve out a piece of paradise. So again, if you want some of that, you want to be a part of that, the doorway in is faith in our King Jesus who's died on the cross for our sins. We, we were reminded of that every time we come to this table. And this was Jesus' way of carving out a little, little piece of paradise. He's with his disciples, as we just read in Luke 22. They're going to betray him. They, they, they are fighting over who's going to be in charge and who's going to be the vice president, who's going to be the secretary of state. And there's just all, just all this stuff that's just going on around him, and he's just looking at a whole room full of covenant breakers. And then that moment that we just read about, he takes bread, he breaks it, he gives it to them, he says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Right? 
he knows there's no way those covenant breakers are ever going to be religged to God if he doesn't give his body on the cross that next day. And then in the same way, he takes the cup, and after he blesses it, he gives it to them. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood. The new covenant will have to be purchased by the blood of God's own son. And why? He says, for the forgiveness of sins. And not just the, the week's sins, not just the year's sins, all your sins, once for all, paid for at the cross. And for the purpose of relegging people to God, that God would be their God and they would be his people. And so this is what we're celebrating as we're having a meal together, but also we're having this meal with God. And we're saying, this is a little piece of paradise right here. We're saying, you are our God, and you have done this thing through this great good news, this gospel for us. And now we are a people. All of that brought to us by Jesus. Amen? And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, right? You've come to understand who he is, and you responded in, in faith. You've received what he's done for you on the cross perhaps even in these last few minutes. We want to encourage you to come and, and, and participate in this table. If you're here and you know you're not a Christian, you're like, I'm checking this thing out. My friend dragged me here. I, you know, there's all kinds of reasons people are here. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. We want you to keep coming back. But if you're at a place where you're like, I'm just getting started with the investigation and I, I don't know who Jesus is and I don't know how to follow him and I'm not even sure I want to, we, 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 we're glad you're here. But we're also going to ask you during this time to just remain in your seat. Pray. Think about what you're hearing. Uh, because this really is a way to signal, hey, uh, Jesus is my Savior and he's my King. And I'm celebrating this both with him and with his people. Okay? While that's going on, I'll be in the back with a couple other folks for, for prayer. And so I'd love to pray for you. If there's something that uh, is going on in your life, you're just like, I just need prayer. Happy to do that. There'll be other people besides me back there as well. So let's pray. God, thank you that you are a covenant-making God. We, we do everything we can to break that binding, yet you, with great determination, have bound yourself to your people. Thank you for what you've done, that we remember at this table of your death, your burial, your resurrection, your return, this new creation, this paradise that you have bought and paid for us. And Lord, we acknowledge that that paradise at the center of it is you. And so as we take this bread and cup, as we sing these songs, Lord, our hearts are turned to you and we are grateful that you have the power to overcome the human heart, which is desperately sick, and turn it into a worshiping heart. So we give you thanks and praise, and we pray your blessing over this time, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.